0: There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival.
1: The podcast where we look at the film arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do they want? Where are they from? Why are they here? This is the priority. Our priority today is minutes 26 through 30 in which people enter the show.
0: Yeah, and we'll
1: talk to you next time. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very brief <laughs> episode. Very little happens. If if you're not paying attention to radio chatter in these five minutes, very little is even said. Fortunately for all of you, or unfortunately if it's boring, I was paying attention to such chatter. This segment begins as the passengers exit the pickup trucks, and we get two voices mostly on radio, Alpha and Condor. Alpha is with the people going into the shell. I don't know who he is. He's not Marks. He's not Weber. He's one of the other two. And Condor is, I guess, back at the base. And so Alpha says, copy Condor. We will observe but not initiate. Over. Some random helper guy. There's at least eight of them on the ground with them. Helps Louise out of the truck. Says, watch your step. And Condor says, we'll keep Alpha channel open. Over. Alpha, be advised. Humidity increased since yesterday. So they're paying attention to lots of stuff, which is nice. It means they're prepared. And then we hear Weber over the radio. We're looking at Louise. He says, every 18 hours, the door opens up at the bottom. That's where we go in. And this is where we get... What we do get in this segment is a lot of really nice shots of the ship. And this is one of the first ones we get here. It's a wide shot where the lopsided curve of the ship is most of the frame. And you get like the three pickup trucks and the scissor lifts and the floodlights are tiny at the bottom. You can barely tell there's even people down there.
0: Yeah, gives a good sense of foreboding, a good sense of anticipation of what's to come. Yeah, so- and we, we
1: mentioned last time even that sense that it's sitting above them at any time. This could fall down. It's inherently dangerous just being below this thing. But also, what I really like about it is that it's lopsided. There was a chance the ship was going to be mm-hmm. spherical, and I have notes on that. Because this shot works primarily because it's not spherical. That lopsidedness also adds to the idea that this could fall down, and That this is hovering here at all is weird and strange and interesting. In Chiang's original story, the ships remain in orbit. The aliens don't actually come down to the ground. They send what they call looking glasses, which are these, I think they're spherical? Semi-translucent. Louise describes them, she's the narrator, as two-way communication devices, presumably with the ships in orbit. No one knew why the aliens wouldn't talk to us in person. Fear of cooties, maybe. The looking glass was inactive, resembling a semicircular mirror over 10 feet high and 20 feet across, so also it's not as gigantic. It's kind of friendly, almost. On the brown grass in front of the looking glass, an arc of white spray paint outlined the activation area. As we crossed the paint line, the looking glass appeared to grow transparent. It was as if someone was slowly raising the illumination behind tinted glass. The illusion of depth was uncanny. I felt I could walk right into it. Once the looking glass was fully lit, it resembled a life-size diorama of a semi-circular room. The room contained a few large objects that might have been furniture, but no aliens. There was a door in the curved rear wall. So essentially they get this weird curved mirror that is turns into a window into the alien ship, which presumably is above. Although depending on how the aliens play with time and space, maybe they're there the whole time. and just can't be seen. Which, there's similarity in the window in the ship that we do get, but that's the next segment. Where when they get there, yeah, the aliens aren't just sitting there waiting for them. It's kind of a cool metaphor
0: for communication and how it works. How when we...
1: I tilt my head as if you can hear that, (laughs) listeners.
0: It's like how when we go on process information and then how when we speak, we're doing it through our own filters and then reflecting back based on our Mm. own perception. We're never truly able to communicate unfiltered or without those reflections.
1: Right, yeah. What we're communicating is always influenced by something else
0: exactly. that came
1: before, yeah. that's coming now, sounds and noise and surroundings around us.
0: And that's one of the things that I talk about. I didn't know it's going to have any theory for this episode, but <laughs> <laughs> when I do listening activities in interpersonal communication, where one person has to draw what the other one is describing mm. in turns. And it's not just simply listening and drawing. But if I'm describing something to draw to you, the way I perceive both those pictures in my mind and the words that I use to describe it are based on my prior experiences and prior perception of the world. When I say that, almost never do we speak or describe something and it comes out exactly the way it is in your head. And that's something I talk about that students relate to a lot because it's like, I thought I was going to have this great speech or this great essay, but like how I envisioned this going in my head and then what actually happened was not the same thing. And then after whatever that version that we actually do get out when we're speaking, the other person has to perceive that, which they're then doing through their own filters and putting that back into their head. So it seems like a very simple two-way kind of back-and-forth communication process is actually going through many more steps than we consider. And so it's a cool metaphor. Especially the more
1: you are talking, because then each person is adjusting to what the other one is saying and what they're perceiving them to be saying.
0: Exactly. And And it can
1: get worse if they're misunderstanding, or we hope better.
0: There's one word in a sentence that maybe we don't like or it says Mm -hmm. the wrong way, and suddenly we're now perceiving everything that comes out with that negative tone or that negative, even if it wasn't intended that way. And just how we even perceive words differently. Or if I say dog and everyone in the class pictures a different dog because they're picturing their own or maybe one that scared them at some point or one that they'd like to have in the future. And that's just one word in one sentence. So multiple sentences, very easy to see how miscommunication happens. But I think that's a cool visual metaphor for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and going with that sort of, what's that decoding? And translation of the film. The next thing I have in my notes is the version of this moment Mm -hmm. and the ship in Heiserer's script. Because it was already changed. And this is not even what ends up in the film. That ahead, a round portal, eight feet in diameter, is set into the sphere. A notch in the skin of the ship like a recessed button. No other door, portal, or window is visible. It's a smooth enigma of metal. So at this point, the ship is still spherical. And we get a circular door. Which as we'll get to in a moment, is not what we get. We get a little dialogue in the script that isn't in the movie. Louise says, amazing, there's no front or back. And Ian says, no visible thrusters either. Suddenly the porthole slides open, and it's as if a thick sheaf of papers with a hole punched through its middle aligned perfectly. Hundreds of layers of concentric spheres lock into position and create a tunnel leading up into the epicenter of the ship. The smooth bore structure invites vertigo. Ten steps in and it's hard to tell up from down. Behind them, the portal closes to a crescent moon and then seals up completely. More follow the tunnel shifting behind them as they advance toward the inner chamber. Weber tells them that 45 minutes later, it will open again. That's how they get out. In the film, of course, we've already heard from the Australian scientist. It's 112 minutes when they get slid out like ants on paper. The chamber has no hard corners or edges. It's vaguely rectangular. The floor and the ceiling are made of the same material and seem to be symmetrical. The room is bisected by a transparent wall. On the other side, the room is empty, save for a raised platform the size of a table. An identical platform descends from the ceiling above it. It's possible the entire ship could be operated if gravity were reversed and the ceiling was suddenly the floor. Which, this will come up again later in the film, but science fiction aliens being able to manipulate gravity is generally seen as they are more advanced than us. Hard sci-fi usually gets ships with rotating parts in order to get gravity. 2001 had that. Softer sci-fi. Like space fantasy, like Star Wars, you get... They just have gravity in their ships, because why not? Because who wants to film people floating? Just watch behind-the-scenes footage of Apollo 13. You'll see. They could film for 30 seconds at a time when they wanted to be in zero-G. Because that's how the vomit comet works. This is a way to save on production costs. You don't have people floating around. This They're already going to have CGI aliens going, so they don't need extra stuff to it. So manipulate gravity. That's part of what this segment is about. As for the design... Production designer Patrice Vermette in Popular Mechanics, 21st February 2017, says the aliens went all the way, they traveled the universe, and they stopped like 30 feet from the ground. Inside, we made this long black tunnel made out of sedimentary rock that goes to the big white screen in a gigantic room that's to represent the humans traveling through time and meeting another civilization. They want to walk to the light, obviously. It's light at the end of the tunnel. It's about something scary, but something that is also very attractive. Interesting note on the actual design of the ship. From Hollywood Reporter Carolyn Giardina, 10th November 2016. This is after talking to Vermette. She says the ship was inspired by the asteroid slash minor planet 15 Unomia, which is a four-sided curved shape. that If you look at it, it doesn't look that much like this ship because they made this a lot longer, but it's a similar idea. One side is kind of convex. They wanted to create something that people don't make, is what they have here. Then she quotes Vermette again, the script, the humans have to walk a long corridor into a big room where they interact with the aliens. So we came up with an idea. What if there's a leap of faith? Or once they get into the ship, they need to jump off and there's a gravity shift. We also came up with the idea of having the humans enter the shell of the ship on a scissor lift for the contrast between the totally alien technology and something very down to earth. And then he talks about the uh, texture of the ship Being being like rock. And I'm sure we'll have something to say about that. Back to the film, the next shot is the shell filling essentially the entire frame. There's a little bit of light at the bottom left at first, and you don't even know what you're looking at until the camera starts angling downward and realize we're looking at the shell again, and slowly getting a sense of the space beneath it. We can tell there's some texture to the ship, but we don't know what, because we're not looking at it up close yet. Alpha says zero movement, Condor says alpha detail, clear to proceed, over. The camera angles down, and we see there are six people in orange are on one of the scissor lifts. This is, of course, Ian, Louise, Weber, Marks, Alpha, and some other guy. And Alpha says, copy Condor, begin our set now, over. We get a 10 feet, 5 feet, 2, 1, like a countdown. As we're close on Ian, looking up at the ship. The shell takes up most of the frame again as people rise into view below it, which is another nice shot, because we keep focusing on the shell and not them. Someone puts an arm up. I think it's Ian. It's not Weber, and it's not Louise, as the lift stops, and we get an angle of Louise now lifting a hand up, so it wasn't her before. We get a close-up on a hand touching the surface, which might be Ian's, might be Louise's. When they're all in orange suits, they're very interchangeable. (laughs) The only difference is that Louise is short, and if we can see their face, Weber is black. That's it. Otherwise, they're just barely lit faces inside orange suits. We see Ian with his arm up. And then Condor says, Alpha, clear to enter antechamber, which doesn't make any sense because the entryway has not opened yet. One little weird mistake in this segment.
0: Do you think it's that they have permission, not that they literally can?
1: Maybe. I I assumed it was like an editing issue where Mm. the person editing the sound and the person editing the video weren't paying attention to the content. Yeah. And then Alpha says, moving into position, 30 feet from target. It's kind of weird, but they do the scissor lift not where they expect the opening to be. They raise it and then move over to the opening. And we haven't seen the entryway yet, but we get a shot from below as the the lift rolls over. And then we see a hand again, which I think is Louise's. Then we get a shot of Ian as he laughs, so maybe it was his. I don't know. And then we get another one of the cool shots is the shell is taking up all but the very bottom of the frame, but now we can see there's a rectangular opening in it up ahead and the camera's tracking toward it which is nice because the ship is very dark already, but suddenly we can tell there's a darker space, an opening. Then Condor says suit telemetry now full strength despite unknown interference. The opening almost fills the screen, and then we cut back to the hand brushing the surface as it comes to the edge of that opening. And then the hand lowers kind of nervously. And we get a wider shot of Ian, Louise, and maybe Marks as the lift stops moving, and the camera moves away from them. Like the camera's ignoring the people. And it moves up into the darkness of the opening. And we get a really cool sound cue that sounds like thunder. And I don't know what it's supposed to be. If it's supposed to be thunder, because we've seen the sky is kind of gray. Or if it's a sound from inside the ship. The timing seems quite deliberate. And they're trying to make it a little scary that this dark space has just opened up.
0: Yeah, definitely doing a good slow build with the Explorer. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Alpha says three, two, one, and the lift starts rising again as we're on Ian. And then we get a shot from above showing the scissor lift coming up through this rectangular opening that is almost square, but not quite. And the corners are curved. It reminded me of an old TV screen, except we're looking at it what would be sideways because the way we're looking at it, the vertical distance is the one that's a little longer than
0: the other. That could be cool if that was intentional like looking through a screen. I mean, they've done the, they switched thing from, from circular screen. to
1: this when they're putting, purposely putting circles all over the place. So I think it's a deliberate sort of thing the scissor lift rises up and you can see there's seven of those people down below are just kind of lingering not doing much we get a shot of louise turning around and we hear her breathing again so she's still not totally calm we hear alpha saying or i think it's alpha someone saying maybe condor oxygen level 20.3 percent no known contaminants over
0: and if anyone doesn't remember their late elementary school science education they're establishing normalcy 20% 20% is about how much oxygen you're supposed to have. Oh, okay. Yeah. And <laughs> that's how much oxygen is in our air.
1: And we get a shot from below. We get a shot of Weber's. It says gravity is 0.97.
0: Gravity is 0.97, so similar to our own gravity. So yeah. they're just establishing that it's stable there now. Yeah.
1: And then we get a view up the tunnel, finally, with yeah. these square... Of white at the end of barely textured sides going toward it then we get a shot that initially i had misunderstood i will admit because we get a a shot of the screen on i think it's alpha's arm
0: yeah i want to talk about that one because i loved it (laughs) and it,
1: it looks like a cell phone but it's showing like updated numbers and information the small text is hard to read so i couldn't figure out exactly what the fluctuating numbers were And I'll let you talk about the screen, but I'll point out that there are a couple glow sticks tucked into the strap holding it on their arm as well, because we'll get to the glow sticks in a moment.
0: One of the things that I liked is how we cut from the shot of the rectangular long, dark hallway to the rectangular smartphone Hmm. Um, on with the picture jumping direction. So disorientation, playing with space and time.
1: With the tunnel being normal. The tunnel is a nice static shot of this rectangle.
0: Yeah, so it's like an awesome juxtaposition. It's Mm -hmm. like right after we're stabilized, then it cuts to unstable. Mm -hmm. And
1: it's that instability that I misunderstood at first because the audio is, I think, Condor saying radio signals are decreasing 90%, 85%, and it keeps counting down and kind of gets quieter. And so I was thinking the signal to his phone and these numbers was being interrupted. But that's not it. It's not that the numbers are being interrupted. It's that the phone is readjusting to gravity as well yeah it rotates 90 degrees but doesn't stabilize it keeps rotating and it kind of spins and it's it isn't settling on a direction so it's our first sign that gravity is messing up here and then the camera angles down from that to those hands are on the controls for the scissor lift it's a switch and we get a shot from above again as the lift stops and we get an angle on all the people as uh, especially ian and mark's as marks or alpha i'm not sure takes out a glow stick snaps it and it's orange and tosses it up and the camera follows it as it goes up behind him and onto the wall and lands as if it's the ground which is already disorienting for us i noticed an extra thing is that we get a next shot of ian looking up but he hasn't changed where he's standing and he says yeah that just happened except he's not looking at where the glow stick went (laughs) He would have to turn around because it's the wall behind him. They just showed that he's standing next to the guy who threw it. Which I thought was funny because they wouldn't have known that on the set. They just they just, had the visuals of that glow stick later. That's a special effect. Which they could have done practically. Oh, that would have been awesome. Maybe they did do it practically and he just didn't want to turn over. I don't know. We get Louise and Weber as the lift rises again. And we get a wide shot of the six of them when the lift stops and all of them rise up off their feet into the air just slightly. Gravity's going away. We get a shot from inside Louise's helmet because she doesn't seem to like this. We hear her breathing again. She's looking down at her levitating feet and then her feet land. And we get a shot of her looking down again at them.
0: And we have those dark discordant notes Mm. with music here as she finds her feet under her. Yeah. Is this where we see the dark rectangular hallway that like spins direction?
1: Um, the spinning is almost, where is it? (laughs) It's coming. First, we get another shot that I think is from inside her helmet, but it's not as clear this time because she's not looking down at herself, but everything is a little gray. So I think it's the shot from inside her helmet as she looks up at everyone else. And I think she's looking at Ian, but I'm not sure. Whoever says, all right, let's move. Time is wasting. Mark says, you ready? You ready? Let's do it. And we get a shot from above, farther up than before, and rotating slowly. Alpha says, Condor, I'm proceeding first with Captain Marks, over. And we see Marks steps to the wall below, then Alpha follows. says, Landed, Gravity Nominal, the antechamber, over. We get a shot of Louise looking up, as Weber says, it's all good, sir, you can proceed. No, Marks, I think, says this. Alpha says, Stand by. Okay, bring it up. And we get a view up the tunnel, and Marks and Alpha are upside down, relative to everyone else, standing on the wall. Ian and the extra guy, I'll call him number six in my notes. Number six jumps, and the camera angles up with him as he lands between Marks and Alpha. So the film is deliberately disorienting us several times with these shots as it changes directions. He's carrying a couple cases, but he lands fine. We hear, I think, Condor saying vitals are low, radio signal strength stable at 75% over. The camera angles back down to Ian looking up, and he looks over to Weber. Weber says, You okay? Ian laughs, says, Yeah. We get a close-up on Louise. She's not looking up anymore. She looks a little uh, worried. And Weber says, Dr. Banks, you can do this. Come on. She says, I don't know, I think. And Weber grabs the back of her suit and lifts up. We cut to a shot from above as they float together into the tunnel. And they land. They land fine. Weber says, grab her. And then she stumbles.
0: he's anticipating yeah <laughs> she's about
1: to. but she she doesn't fall over anything she turns and looks back and we see the lift from above again ian now by himself down there and we are a good distance back and the others are not in the shot and so they either jumped really far or the movie is deliberately messing with our sense of distance as well which i think it's more the latter ian jumps he doesn't jump very far he lands he falls He's got a flashlight in either hand, so he's got no sense of like catching himself. It's very awkward. Alpha says, Donnelly, are you all right? Weber says, Dr. Donnelly, you good? Alpha says, Dr. Donnelly, are you all right? Please respond over. And Ian gets up. He says, yeah. And then he turns and looks behind below him at the big opening and says, holy fuck. Which is pretty early in the film for them to use their F-bomb, as it were. And we get another nice shot for this segment. We get the vertigo dolly zoom here. That, again, messes with our sense of distance as it tracks closer to Ian. At the same time, it's zooming so that the ground is also closer. So we don't know how far anything is here. And then we get a reverse shot and see that Ian is right next to the rest of the people who weren't in the previous shot. So the movie is deliberately messing with our sense of distance and space. Yeah. And I like it. Mess
0: with distance like space. It. We're basically just trying to orient us into kind of this... New different reality, this new paradigm, doing it with this mm-hmm. five minute slow build. If it was just like, oh, they walked on the ship and started talking to yeah. aliens, we wouldn't.
1: I think this does yeah. it much better because it puts <laughs> us in the position they are in.
0: Exactly. Is it? Yeah. We have
1: to orient in new directions, new distances, new ways to look at where people are.
0: You have to build emotional connection with them mm-hmm. as they're doing something really scary and yeah and the colony. end of this segment
1: i like because ian was the one who was laughing and excited but at the end of this he's the only one still looking down as weber says we're going to go down there like now weber is saying down and he means what is up the tunnel but ian is the only one still looking back out the opening at the ground below even though he was the one that seemed more excited that's a nice little ending
0: And it is interesting how this idea of not just gravity, but sense of direction, influencing how we think about things, Uh like a very United States slash American-centric view of the world, where North America is on top and South America is on the bottom, and the U.S. is like the center of maps and how much space we allot to things and how we orient ourselves and view things based on power rather Uh than based on any scientific reality, places and people.
1: Yeah, just look at maps.
0: Exactly, that's what published I mean. maps.
1: Yeah. It's always oh, <laughs> north Pole's up. Yes, there is more land in the northern hemisphere. So, oh, even the sense of where uh, I'll bring this up later. But I do have specific coordinates for all of the twelve ships, which is fun. Yeah. If you look at maps, they didn't land in Montana just to like fuck with America. If you look at North America, that's like the middle of it. They just landed in the
0: middle. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care.
1: It's one of the few places they landed in the middle of land, but it's not anything special. We just assume, yeah, of course they're going to land in the U.S. We're important. Anyway, so yeah, we end up with Weber saying we're going to go down there. Next time they'll go down there. In the meantime, you could hear me listen to or talk about more disorienting (laughs) science fiction.
0: Wait, you just said hear me listen to. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Wow, this episode really disoriented you. It did.
1: (laughs) You won't know, listeners. Now I might even cut this out. There, throughout this episode, we had a garbage truck driving by, so we had to keep pausing in between sentences. It was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So if this episode feels disorienting to listen to... It's because
1: it was recorded strangely. <laughs> but anyway, you can hear me listen to a film about <laughs> science fiction. If you want to hear me talk more about disorienting science fiction, you can listen every Thursday to Annihilation Minute, the Alex Garland science fiction film. With a lot of in-depth research and references and poetry and music and fun. Well, not always fun.
0: (laughs) If you want to hear my disorienting show life as a playlist, you never know what you'll get. You might get me talking about childhood trauma. You might hear me talking about politics or railing against social issues. Just depends. But always with music. Yes, always with music. <laughs> Reference to music. Always with top 40 billboard songs, and you can follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just
1: happened. Thank you for listening.
0: Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5 Minute Arrival.
1: Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links.
0: I used to think this was the beginning of your story.